and I'm really looking forward. I'm looking forward to the rest of the speakers and my my old friend Wilma. Um, let's see. Oh, I had to wear this sweater. If I look a little warm, it's my lucky sweater, and you know, I I hope nobody asks me to speak in the summer because it's get warm. <laughs> and I thought nobody will notice, you know, that I have this sweater on. And as soon as I got here, Charles says, "Oh, you have your lucky sweater." <laughs> so maybe I better look for a new lucky. <laughs> But, you know, I am very, very superstitious person. I, I don't know if it's because of the Irish background or not. I come from a, an Irish an Irish background. Both my parents were as far back as they can trace it. There was nothing else but Irish, which probably contributes to the fact that um, everybody in my family is also alcoholic, too. Um, I mean, really, my parents are alcoholic, and there's five kids, and all five of us are alcoholic. Um, I think four of us were treated for alcoholism, except for one, or maybe two, I can't remember. But anyway, maybe even a couple times. <laughs> so, so I really do qualify um, for this program. And you know, I am so grateful. This morning is just, just so grateful that I have this program. I, um, the group that I belong to, we've had a couple of, it's a good group, you know, and a lot of people in it, and a lot of, you know, like Laurie says, a lot of laughter, a lot going on. But the last couple of years, we've had some sadness, too. We've lost some, you know, we've lost some members that have been around for a long time, and one of our friends right now is struggling with cancer. And it's just, it amazes me the miraculous um, response that it always is in this program, making sure people have meals and making sure that there's always somebody calling and always something going on. Because I think, you know, I was a very popular person outside of this program, and I don't think anybody would give a rest if, you know, something happened to me before, you know. This is where it's at for me. It's just like, you know, um, when Lori was saying, as long as I'm laughing, you know, maybe I'm not thinking, but however. <laughs> thinking is still my first choice, you know. <laughs> that is probably, you know, a powerless overthinking now more than anything. Um, as I was saying, I come from um, an alcoholic background, and um but in my neighborhood, which was very um uh it was a an Irish neighborhood, but then across you know, it was like divided. There was thirty sixth street and west of thirty sixth street you could be Irish, east of X Street you could be Irish, you know, but if you went one way you'd be Croatian or Lithuanian or Polish. It was just one of those kind of neighborhoods which I think was probably the you know, the best possible of anything I could ever have is to be exposed to all of those ethnic cultures at once. However, it did seem at this time that our little area was drunker than most of the other areas. <laughs> Everybody had an Uncle Patrick or an Uncle Pierce or somebody that just couldn't get up in the morning, you know, just couldn't make it. But, you know, that's the way it was for us, you know, and, you know, we kind of all, you know, it was a joke, I guess. It was a joke. Uh, and I guess it had to be funny because when you grow up in an alcoholic home, it, um, there's so much pain. You know, I believe in an alcoholic home. I, I, I watching my own kids suffer in my home. I know that there's pain. You know, there's the pain of, um, you know, not 
feeling as good as everybody else. Even if, you know, even if you think, yeah, they got alcoholism in their family. From my very earliest memories, I know, I knew what alcoholism was. I knew my father was an alcoholic from the beginning. Um, he had some interesting alcoholic behavior. He um, was a periodical drunk, which I think is, for myself, is kind of really perplexing type of a drunk anyway, because I managed to do it on a regular basis. But, you know, the periodical, you know, my dad would be so good for a long time, and then he'd be so bad for a long time, you know, and it was always like, you come home from school, is he going to be good, you know, or is he going to be bad, you know, you just never knew. And um, <clears throat> um, he, was, um, he was a violent, when he drank, he was violent. And... Um, then my mother would get violent, and it was just a violent household. There was always, when there was drinking, it was a little different than Lamar talked last night. You know, when he wasn't drinking, you know, he would be crazy. That's how I was. No, I was crazy all the time. Drinking, sober, it was bad. But you know, when my mom and dad weren't drinking, it was nice. We had the meals on the table, and you know, it, it was different. It was really nice. The boy, you knew when he was um, <clears throat> falling off the wagon, or as he did. He would take these pledges with the Catholic Church, you know, go in and take a pledge, and then he wouldn't drink for six months. And you know, him and Uncle Pierce and Uncle Boomer, they'd all go take the pledge, and then it would be quiet for a while, and then the pledge would run out. You know, it's just like, wow, this pledge deal doesn't work the way I think it should. You know, um, I always wondered, you know, why they never went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, they did eventually, but I always wonder why they didn't. Way back then, there must have been a group in Omaha. I know there was a group in Omaha. We lived in South Omaha. I think that was considered not quite Omaha at that time. I don't know. Maybe it still isn't. But um, anyway, the, you know, the childhood was really interesting. I was a very quiet, introverted child, very, very quiet. And I always attributed that to the fact that I have very... Uh, um, very uh, outgoing sisters. <laughs> they very popular, very outgoing. Uh, there was always excitement around the house with my sisters. They were younger, but they just had a lot more going on than I did. I was kind of like, you know, um, quiet. Um, just, that was it, quiet. They had boyfriends, and I had this one. But <laughs> they had much more excitement. You know, I would just trance off to school and do my thing, and um, they would be in the. They would have guys pulling up in Harleys and leather, and I would be in my little cheerleading clothes. You know, walking around. I mean, I just didn't fit in even in my family, and they all say that too when they tell their stories. They never fit in either. So I mean, here was all these people in the same house, and nobody fit in. So, you know, and honest, when I hear, when I would hear my sisters. Talk, you know, I hear them talk from the podium, and they talk about that pain of not fitting in, even in your own family. <laughs> wow, we should have had a meeting. <laughs> you know, we should have, we should have done something about this a long time ago. But um, you know, not to make light of the family, the family of the alcoholic. It, it's bad. I mean, I it's just really bad. I'm a teacher, and I see that in school. You know, you can tell. The kids that are suffering, you know, the isolation that some of them feel or the class clown or all that stuff, you can see that in school. You know, and I and I just think back about, you know, when I was in school and the nuns would take such good care of me and make me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because my mom couldn't get out of bed, you know, to make uh, make lunch. She'd be too sick. Um, and I don't know if that was from a hangover or if it was from being married to an alcoholic herself, you know, but she was too sick to function in that home. My father was... Um, 
very successful person, uh, you know, and he did his job and uh, did, you know, but, you know, he was a functioning alcoholic, but, you know, he was, he was bad when he drank. And, uh, you know, it's just like I knew when I was young that I, I was not going to marry an alcoholic. There was just no way in hell I was going to marry an alcoholic. I wanted to have that ideal life. I can I can just remember these dreams that I would have, you know, and I'd have these four little boys, you know. And thank God I didn't have four little boys. <laughs> I'm really grateful for that. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, you know, and I'd have this idyllic life, and we'd go to Mass on Sunday, you know, and we'd have these dinners, <clears throat> you know, because I wasn't going to marry an alcoholic. Never did I think <clears throat> that... Uh, I would be the alcoholic, you know, and I never ever thought that. I really thought, <clears throat> excuse me, I really thought I had control over this deal. You know, it didn't make any sense to me why my father couldn't stop drinking, why my mother would get so sick from drinking and keep continue drinking, or the uncles in the family, you know, have so many of them had drinking problems. I didn't understand, you know, why didn't they just quit? I didn't understand that powerlessness, powerlessness over alcohol. I think that... Thank you. <clears throat> I think I'll take a drink. <laughs> That's good. Always help. <clears throat> but um, I didn't understand that powerlessness. I just, it didn't make any sense to me. You know, I knew I had control over this one area of my life. I knew that I did not have to become an alcoholic. And I knew that till I was 17 years old and had my first drink, which was way past when my sisters had theirs. They had a, they kind of had a running head start on me. But when I had my first drink, it was amazing to me. Just, just, just like Lamar was talking last night, it it transformed me into one smart woman. Uh, I didn't care if I was good looking. I didn't care if I had boobs. My sponsor always said she grew boobs when she drank. I didn't care. I just wanted to be smart. After all of those years of being in the third reading group, you know, and uh, <clears throat> all the other kids in school being smarter, I thought, and everybody else knowing the answer. Somebody knows how to live this life. They always know what to do, when to do it, and I never had any answers. So drinking, it gave me the answer. And I could relate so much last night when Lamar spoke about the yellow pad. I would sit in um, La Bistro Bar, and I would plan out my life, you know, and I had this all down. I knew what to do. God, this is incredible. You know, I work all day, and I come here at night, and I know what to do. But then I couldn't get up in the morning to go to work to figure out how to do it. But, you know, I mean, it was just, it's just amazing how we do the same thing. Uh, but then I, I guess I've been around here long enough to know that, you know, I gotta compare the same parts and not the differences now. Uh, cause when I first came to, I know I jump around a lot. I can't help it. <laughs> I've tried to track, but it never works. <laughs> never has worked. Um, I did get married when I was 18, and I married uh, my child, my, uh, I guess he wasn't my childhood sweetheart. Thank God that guy got away. <laughs> Thank God, because I guess he's just as bad as I am. But uh, I married a man I dated for a long time, and... Um, and he also came from a, an alcoholic family, so we were just kind of perfect for each other. We just fit really well together. Uh, we were married, um, and I think we had three kids in the first four years that we were married. And then, 
you know, then, then what do you do next, you know? So I don't know. I mean, that's how I've always been. Just keep doing something, doing something, then figure out what to do next. You know, it's like the alcoholic mind. i got to keep moving, keep planning. You can't live in today. I can't be here. You know, i got to be somewhere else. i got to go on to the next thing. And so the next thing for me was uh, it was tough having kids. I mean, you know, I was young and uh, had the alcohol. You know, I had started drinking you know, pretty regularly, when after that first drink at 17, and I remember everything about it and and the things I did the first time I drank, and um, I'm just pretty glad nobody's around here in Omaha anymore that was with me that night. So, you know, I'm pretty safe from that story. But um, I just remember, you know, um, how good it made me feel. So I, I did it over and over and over again. Every weekend I would drink. And getting married was the natural solution to keep drinking. Now, I didn't rationally think, okay, I want to keep drinking, so I'm going to, I got to quit my job and get married. It just seemed like it worked out that way. I got married and didn't go back to my job. And uh, I married somebody that made good money, and so I didn't have to work for a long time. And uh, I started, that's when I kind of started, um, well, getting in trouble, I guess you could say. Before that, I was always in trouble with my head. You know, it's always my mind getting me in trouble, thinking. Now I was getting in trouble physically. Um, you know, for instance, I when I drank too much, um, this is when the violence started coming in. And I would go, I remember one wedding reception in South Omaha, and they used to have these big, big, big Polish weddings. They were really fun. And I went to one one night and um, with my husband, and he disappeared from the wedding reception. And so I decided to go look for him. And I found him, and I found him in an un is it an uncompromising situation or a compromising situation? Compromising situation. And so, you know, this guy's big. I wasn't going to hit him. So I hit the the lady he was with. And, and I broke her nose. Yeah. And I was very tiny back then. <laughs> I was skinny. But anyway, and I broke her nose. And I, I, you know, I was embarrassed by this. I really, really was. Here I am fighting in this nice dress, you know, at a, at a wedding reception with all these people there. There's something wrong that somebody does something like that. But if he would have behaved, this wouldn't have happened. And that's what started that, you know, I am the victim. And if you would do what, you know, you're supposed to do, nothing would happen. Uh, however, it was always somebody doing something, you know, and I got, you know, I couldn't control anybody. I couldn't get them to stop being mean to me or taking, you know, my rights away or stuff like that. Uh, and the girl that I, whose nose I broke was my cousin. And um, it disturbed the family greatly that I was having this kind of social behavior. Um, it bothered my mother a lot. Um, and then it just, I got over that, and then I got into this terrible fist fight with my sister in a bar. And um, it was a bar that had these, all these, a long flight of steps. I mean, we were fighting in the bar, out the door, down the steps, you know, and, you know, in the alley. And, I mean, she just about snatched me bald. And, uh, you know, all I could think about is this hurts. You know, this kind of stuff hurts, you know. But in the, every time I got into these situations, I was drinking. And, you know, I broke bones. I broke ribs. I mean, it was just, it was a physical, I'm a physical alcoholic, I guess. That that kind of was the deal. So um, my husband and I, because of uh, my behavior, I'm sure, most of it, because he's not a, a violent person. He's pretty, he's pretty passive, really. And um, he... 
he started leaving town a lot. We were married about eight years, seven or eight years, and he, we had this big, terrible fight, and he told me he didn't think he wanted to stay married to me any longer, and, you know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, when somebody doesn't want to stay married to you anymore, uh-uh, you're not getting away that easy. No way. You know, I'm going, you know, so then I, I put on this big campaign, this guy's going to stay with me whether it kills him or not. Anyway, he figured out a solution to that. He uh, started working out of town. He he was in a business where you could where he could travel a lot, and for the next seven years, he was out of town most of the time. He would come home on the weekends and then go do stuff with the kids on the weekends, and he pretty much avoided me. And I can see why. I mean, I was you know I was one crazy person. Um, when I think about you know some of the some of the predicaments, some of the situations that I put myself in. Or my kids, and you know, it's just horrible. But I, you know, I couldn't see that slow progression. I mean, it, sound, it might sound like it was a fast progression to you, you know, starting out with fist fights and stuff. But actually, you know, it was. It seemed like it was very slow and very physical. You know, I would start getting into uh, medications because I needed to get off the alcohol. So you know, I knew I had to stop drinking because I, you know, I couldn't predict what I was going to do. I never knew. I knew if I went out. You know, that my chances are I would get in some kind of trouble, but I couldn't seem to stop what I was doing. Like, how, you know, how many drinks can you take before you're going to get in a fight? You know, or how many drinks can you take before you're going to do this or not make it home or something? I couldn't predict it anymore. Not that I ever could, but, you know, I was really noticing the lack of control in my drinking. And so I decided that maybe drugs would probably work out a little better. So, um, you know, at that time in the in the 70s, in late 60s, early 70s, it was very easy to get a lot of prescription medication for, you know, things like Valium, Speed, or I don't think they call it Speed. The doctors call it Speed, but whatever it was, you know. And so I was getting stuff like that, and um, and I liked the Speed section for a while because. You know, I mean, I was just so clean. That house was so spotless, everything was alphabetized food. It was cool. You know, I'd stick that baby on the washing machine, you know, and turn the washing machine on, and she'd just be bouncing, and I'd be cleaning, and we were all happy. Just, it was just like everybody was good. But, boy, I didn't have a stamina for amphetamines. I mean, not at all. I just That's just not my thing because I'm hyper anyway. I You know, I, I pretty much have a you know, a natural rush going on most of the time anyway. So so I um, I had to do, stop doing that, and then that's when I kind of like did the Valium thing. And then that was a little low for me. You know, I, I mean, I just am probably an alcoholic. Dr- alcohol is just my deal. Um, wine, you know, I started out doing scotch and ended up, you know, just being gallo by the gallon type gal. So, you know, you know I'm just, just a wino. But, um, you know, all of this time, I'm not watching what's going, you know, I'm, I'm not even noticing what's going on in that home. I became uh, my worst nightmare. You know, my mother never, as far as I know, she never ever, uh, my parents never touched me. You know, I was, too, I was one of those quiet people that stayed out of the way. They, you know, uh, I know my father was violent and a couple of people got in his way several times, but I never did. But, um and my mother was a very quiet person. She's a very quiet person, a very, you know, passive person. And she's a, she's a very sweet, sweet, nice person, from my perspective, anyway. And um, so I, the, the role model, the only role model that I had was a 
was a mother was a very quiet person and a father who was a little bit crazy sometimes. But uh, I don't know where I became such a mean person, you know. I mean, why, how I became such a mean mother. You know, I was very, uh, I was mean. You know, I was obviously neglectful because if you can't get home, you know, I would go to work and I couldn't get home from work. I would, you know, I'm just going to have one drink and I wouldn't make it home until like really late at night and the kids would be calling me at the bars and asking me when I was going to come home and, you know, you shouldn't have preteen kids calling you at a bar asking you to come home and feed them or just come home and put them to bed, you know, with no supervision there. You know, kids shouldn't have to live like that. You know, and every time they'd call me at that bar, you know, there'd be something that would go off in my head that would say, this is what I used to have to do, too. I used to have to call my mom and dad at a bar and say, come home. I'm tired. i got to go to school tomorrow. Come home. I, I don't want to watch my sisters anymore. You know, and here I'm doing the same thing, only I'm adding another dimension to it, and I'm a mean person, too, on top of it all. Um, you know, so I was really starting a downward spiral of how much I hated myself and, you know, trying to drink to get over that guilt and remorse. Because then when I'd go home and I'd go to bed, I'd fall asleep or pass out, and then I couldn't get up. I mean, then I'd wake up and I'd start feeling that terrible remorse. You know, oh, my God, these kids are in bed. Thank God they're all here. Um, and I got tomorrow i got to get up and I'm going to make them breakfast. You know, I'm going to be a good mother, and I'm going to take him to school, and I'm going to do the right stuff. You know, by this time, you know, I mean, I, I had no control. You know, I couldn't get up in the morning because I was so fogged down from the alcohol the night before. I just couldn't get up. And uh, when I did get up, I was mean, you know, just really, really testy and mean. And then it just would be over and over and over. I'd just keep doing the same thing over, expecting different results, and it never happened. The insanity of my alcoholism, you know. And I would even, I would even think myself, God, I cannot believe I'm this, you know, I'm this crazy. And, uh, and I had had my husband telling me I was crazy and several friends telling me I was crazy. And, you know, it just seemed like I just started out, you know, so innocently. You know, in 1963 with a, you know, with a drink. And by the, you know, late 70s, it was just almost all, it was all pain. You know, I was divorced. Um, <clears throat> I was, my house was in foreclosure. My kids were getting in all kinds of trouble. Um, you know, it, it was horrible. And, uh, it, it was like, I, I was going to school because I, you know, when I got divorced, I needed something to do with, my, you know, I needed a job, and um, I was very under-trained, I guess, you know. So I went to school, I went to college, and um, and that's when I met um, my my future husband, and uh, or my no, he is my husband, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is my husband. Anyway. You know, it's just so hard talking about those last couple of years. I don't remember a lot of it. You know, I just don't remember. I remember that I was in a lot of pain, and I remember I inflicted more pain on people than I was in, and I remember that I was hiding out from a lot of people, and I was owing a lot of people money. I couldn't answer the phone because it would be those damn bill collectors. Sometimes we wouldn't have electricity because I didn't pay the electric bill, and I'd tell the kids, hey, this is like a bohemian, you know, existence. This is cool, you know. And I was doing crazy things. I was selling paintings on corners. You know, anything to, you know, you know I fancied myself as an artist, and I was going to make it that way, you know. And, I mean, I was crazy. And I, and I honestly, I, I, um, 
I drank so much, I really, really don't remember a lot. I remember being, I just remember being a mess and the pain of that. Anyway, I, um, one morning, I don't remember my last drunk, but I remember my last hangover. The morning I got up and uh, the kids were out in the kitchen making their breakfast because I couldn't do stuff like that. <clears throat> and I went out into the kitchen and I, they just irritated me, you know. It was one of those, they shouldn't wake me up, right? <clears throat> and I went out in the kitchen and I just tore, I just ripped that whole kitchen apart. I mean, I just ripped the hell out of it. And I had frying pans embedded in the drywall. And I mean, I just took their eggs and threw the stuff all over. And then, and also one of the kids got in my way too and I slammed her around. And that, and that was kind of my end. That was kind of the last, I thought, oh my God. This is horrible. Look, look what my life is, you know. I had a new house in 1968 in the same house I lived in. There were frying pans in the wall, eggs sliding down the walls. You know, the place was going to hell in a hand car. It was in foreclosure. My kids were nuts. You know, I mean, everything was wrong. And it was like, right then, it was like something came into my head, and it was a priest that I used to read his columns in the Catholic paper in Omaha. And he was an alcoholism counselor or he helps people get help with alcoholism. And, I, and that just popped into my head, you know, it just popped into my head. I, I want you to know that people throughout the years had said to me, you know, maybe you should try Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you should try Al-Anon, you know. And I did try psychiatry. I tried psychology, psychologists, psychiatrists. I tried the Alter Society. I tried art clubs. I tried garden clubs. You name it, I tried it. I did not try Alcoholics Anonymous because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. My only thing with that, it just couldn't work. There's no way it could work. So I didn't go to Alcoholics Anonymous or Alana because that sounded worse to me. Anyway, <laughs> I went to, I did go to, uh, I called the priest and um, he said, come to Catholic Social Services and uh, we'll talk to a counselor. <clears throat> and I went up there and I brought all three of the kids with me and I said, oh, God, you know, that, you know, I was at bottom when I tore up that kitchen. That was bottom. I saw those kids, that daughter of mine laying on the floor. <clears throat> and what went through my mind was the times I saw my mother laying on the floor bloody, you know, and how I turned off that, you know, I turned off my emotions then and thought, <clears throat> Nobody, I'll never be laying on the floor bloody, you know, nobody will ever do this to me. Nobody will ever do this to me, but at that point, you know, <clears throat> I couldn't even help my mother. I just walked away, you know, and that's what I saw again. I saw just a different person doing the same thing to somebody else, and it was my bottom. It really, really was. Um, so I took those three kids, but you know, my ego is like a phoenix, and it rises again. I took those kids to the, to the counseling session, and I said, they're sick. My father was an alcoholic. You know, and that's what's wrong with it. I mean, it was just that fast. From the time I made that phone call to the next day when I got him there, it was their fault again. I was the victim again, you know. I was in, you know, the counselor. She was pretty good. She nailed me right away on that, you know, and that stupid test. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're a newcomer, don't take it if you don't want to come back. Because no way if you ever, <laughs> no way. Anyway, because uh, everything, I mean, just everything, I was right there. And, you know, when I first came into the program, I would be, uh, talk about at detail this test and some of, and, and especially about some of the people I was hanging around with. I'm smarter now, I'm not going to mention those people and, you know, because they, we went to some bad places, uh, in our lives. But, um, anyway, she said, you know, 
your kid, one of my daughters said that she thought I was the alcoholic, you know, and not, you know, and, and her dad, but I was the alcoholic. And uh, I said, if I'm an alcoholic, it's only a situational or environmental thing. You know, I was around alcoholics. I'm from South Omaha. I'm Catholic. I'm Irish. Da, 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 you know, and I probably wasn't toilet trained right. So, you know, that has nothing to do, again, with me taking a drink and, you know, and that obsession to drink. Oh, God, that obsession to drink. I had no, I, I did not understand that obsession to drink until I quit drinking, uh, because I kept drinking. That whole time I drank, I didn't stop. Maybe once I stopped for a year, but then I was on medication, so that helped. Um, when uh, at this at this counselor's office, she said that you know, may, I, I refuse to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I just refuse to go. There's no way I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know why I was so prejudiced against Alcoholics Anonymous, but I refused to go. And she said, well, would you like to try Al-Anon? You know, you qualify. And uh, I said, well, you know, like I'm going to give the Al-Anons a break. I'm going to, I'll go. And um, she says, just go for six weeks. Make a six-week commitment to Al-Anon and see, you know. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, I'll go. And uh, I went to the um, to, a, to a group on uh, 114th and Center, West Center, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, boy, was I scared because everybody looked pretty good at this Al-Anon meeting. And right away, the first night, you know, they talked about, you know, if you're in the wrong place, you know, you might find out you're in the wrong place. You could go upstairs or downstairs. I think it was downstairs. And, um, and I, yeah, right. And uh, anyway, the second week, the same thing. You know, if sometimes, you, and these people are talking to me personally saying things like that. You might need to go downstairs or upstairs, whoever it was. I don't remember. Anyway, and the third week, and, you know, I'm, something's wrong with these people. And I was getting scared going there. I was getting really, really scared. The women, they were, they were all women at this group, and they were wonderful. I'm not kidding you. They were so caring and so, I mean, you know, they just, I really wouldn't have went back if they didn't have something I wanted. They had something I wanted. They were very loving and very caring and uh, very honest about what was going on in their lives. And uh, But I, you know, I was kind of sure I didn't belong there. I, I still was trying to get to the Altar Society again and the heck with this group. But, um, and when, you know, the started things started kind of bothering me because these people were talking about their kids being alcoholic and it's, one woman said, you know, both my children are alcoholics. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't think of anything worse. I cannot think of anything worse than watching your kids suffer from this disease. At that time, I couldn't think of anything worse. And um, I was getting scared. I mean, this stuff was hitting home because these people's kids were doing the same thing mine were doing. And I was really becoming afraid. And then the last, the fifth week that I went, I didn't make it six weeks. The fifth week that I went, this lady who, you know, I really admired, she came in and she was really upset and she was talking about how um, her, her husband had called home and called and said he would be home in a half hour, make sure the garage door was open. This is, you know, this is in February. And um, so he can come right in. A lot of snow on the ground that year. And... Uh, she got. She was baking cookies, and she didn't get around to opening the garage door. He was the alcoholic. He drove through the garage door to get into the garage. And you know what? I knew then that I was an alcoholic because that's what I would have done. You don't, you know, I would have drove right through that. If, if I tell you to open that door and you don't, I'm coming through one way or the other. I would have done the thing. And it was like, you know, I, I'm in the... I'm in the wrong place, you know. And then, and then that's when I started my... Um, I guess, I hope it was my recovery 
from this hopelessness that, you know, I had been going through, especially the last three years of my drinking. Um, but darn, you know, every, every, every time I get a chance, you know, then I, then I sabotage my chances. Every time I, somebody would give me a solution, I'd do my own solution. I'd do the yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, and they would say, you go get a home group. And you go to that home group on a weekly basis, and you get a sponsor, and you do service work. Yeah, but I'm busy. You know, yeah, I got this guy I got to marry, and I don't want a sponsor telling me I can't marry him. And, you know, and I don't want you people to know about what's going on in that house, you know, and I don't want to talk about these bills, because I haven't paid a bill in years. And, you know, I don't open my mail. I was, you know, I just don't open the mail. I'm worried, you know, then you don't know about it. So, I mean, so for a year, I went, to different meetings on a regular basis. I never saw the same people twice, probably. You know, we're very fortunate to be in this metro area. There is, what, 500 meetings a week or something? I mean, we are fortunate. However, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed <laughs> to find that group. And I would go to treatment center meetings, and at that time, it seemed like there was a treatment center on every corner. I know there was, because I paid for five treatment centers through my family. Anyway, five different ones. And, uh, you know, I saw, you know, I was not, I, my ego was there it was again. I'm going to do it my way. Until one night, accidentally, you know, I think one day I decided, well, that, so the end of this first year, I'm getting real nervous. You know, I haven't drank. I'm going to meetings. I did ask a guy to sponsor me. He said no. <laughs> Hurt my feelings. So then again, I wasn't going to answer, ask anybody again. So anyway, uh, I'm really sick. I mean, I'm really, really sick by this time. Um, I'm married, I'm sick, this guy's looking like he might bail out, you know, and um, so I looked in the where and when, and I'm still, I felt like suicidal, which is not my nature, or, you know, I'm homicidal, I mean, I'm mean, and I felt suicidal, and that didn't seem right at all, you know, and so, uh, and I just kept having these thoughts, you know, like, I can't go like this, everything was black, everything was black all around me, there was no, there was no life to anything, and I just was trudging so hard, and so, um, you know, I knew it was going to be all over, and um one of my kids was getting in so much trouble. So anyway, I looked in the where and when, and I thought, I'm going to find a meeting today. I'm going to go to it, and I'm going to ask them to sponsor me. And I ended up at a meeting in Bellevue. It was just by sheer luck. I live in Bellevue. Why well, didn't they could go to a meeting in Bellevue before then? It was beyond me. But I went to this meeting, and I met um, I met um, Dick Martin, and he says, you really need to meet my wife. And I and then towards the end of the week, he told me to come to a meeting, and I met his wife. And I... Uh, she says, I think you need to get a sponsor. And so I picked out three women that I, you know, and I, I um, gave them tryouts. You know. <laughs> I mean, they have to be, they, they have to be nurturing, you know, and they have to be clean. And, you know, I had all these things, you know, I mean, and they have to be educated because, you know, I was stupid. I always thought I was stupid. My whole life I thought I was stupid. Even when I was graduating from college with magna cum laude, I thought I was stupid. Well, no, I said I did stupid things. That's why I thought I was stupid. You know, I had nothing to do with my illness. Anyway, so they had to have all of these things. So I narrowed it down to three people. And um, and then, I don't know why, Peggy walked in one day laughing. All she ever did was laugh. It drove me nuts. She laughed all the time, laughed all the time, laughed all the time. I thought, I think I better go with her. You know? <laughs> she laughed a lot. And she might not notice some of the things I do. Well, anyway, <laughs> so busy laughing. So anyway, I got a sponsor, 
and um, and thank God I did. She has saved my saved my life. I swear, sponsorship to me. Both sides of the single is the most important thing because you know she has given me help. I mean, a direction. I could look at. I'd open that big book. And, you know, I'm so fogged from all those years of drinking and all those years of not thinking right and even thinking after I'm drinking and, you know, stop drinking, I'm still thinking. I couldn't understand that big book. I didn't, it was so simple. I couldn't understand it. You know, I needed somebody to pass that direction to me. I really didn't need that. And she would, you know, she would, she's, Peggy's a great one-line sponsor, you know. Read this, read that, you know, do this, do that. And that's what I needed. I didn't need someone to listen to me, at, uh, uh, you know, and uh, go on and on about all this stuff in my life. I needed somebody to tell me fast, you know, because, you know, I always said I have, like, fast twitch fibers. You know, I'm just moving real fast, and I need somebody to give me direction really fast. And um, after I sobered up and got Peggy for sponsor, then things started going downhill really fast. <laughs> very, very fast. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. Um, I thought I had control over all these people in my life. And um, when Lamar was talking about the police last night, I was on a first-name basis with the police also. As a matter of fact, they would come to the house on a regular basis, and they would even say things like, oh, you changed that painting over there. You moved it to that wall. Or, don't paint it. And I think, oh, this is, this is not good. This is not good. And this was because by this time I'm sober and I have three kids going into their alcoholism. And I'm calling the police because I either can't find them or there's some big trouble going on. And, um, you know, not to make light of it, but to watch your kids, uh, you know, in the depths of alcoholism is the most horrendous thing, the absolute most horrendous thing that I ever hope I have to go through. Uh, you know, because if, and you know, and they are my greatest gift. They really, really are. Because I swear, with my ego, Peggy would have put me back together and I would have been out this door if I wouldn't have had those kids and see, you know, what I did to manifest their alcoholism to, what, how I contributed to it, you know, and it, and it uh, has humbled me over the years and, and uh, you know, made me a good parent, I think, too, you know. But it's a, it's a rough road watching three of them. And, you know, since they're all so close in age, watching them all at the same time was a real, you know, it, it was crazy. Um, they... Um, and you know they, you know that is a really important part of my story, um, my surrenders on life. You know, so I surrendered the, I think I, you know, surrendered the alcohol. You know, except last night I had to scream that I had to tell you people that I celebrate every anniversary with wine. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, I was just real active last night. <laughs> I do a lot of thinking in my sleep. <laughs> a whole lot of thinking. You can't believe the amount of women my husband goes out with because <laughs> the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. I'm just at a real Mac, uh, active dream, dreamscape or whatever you call it. Anyway, um, I don't even know what, how, you know, the years, how the years passed and stuff and, and the t what happened during the time, but and I got sober three years later. My sister Susie got sober. Wilma sobered. Helped. Oh my God! It just made the biggest change in my life. This, oh, it was just unbelievable. Um, my sister was really, really a bad drug addict. Really bad. And uh, Peggy said, you know, we need to call Wilma on this one. And Wilma was called and took care of my sister for a long, a lot of years, a lot of years. 
and but it made the biggest change in our lives because I was all by myself in this family, the only sober person. Think about it. I got you know four sisters or three sisters that are drinking, a brother that's drinking, parents. My dad was on the wagon at this time. Three kids, you know, ex-husbands, and everybody in my life, you know, that I love is an alcoholic, and they think I'm a freak because I'm going to AA. You know, I'm a freak, and uh, so when Susie got sober. You know, it's just, it was a miracle because here was another person that could spread, you know, that could, and she was a better example of AA, the better, the best example of AA. Because I was beating people into AA. You know, I, I was like, you know, you're an alcoholic, you go to meetings, you're an alcoholic, you go to meetings. You know, I was preaching and I was not a good example. You know, I, it was not attraction, let me tell you. It was promoting to the worst. You know, and so, when Susie came in, you know, it was like, you know, she was a good example of AA. She had a good program. And here we were, you know, it was just two of us. And then Sandy came in because of Susie a year later. And, I mean, it was like, wow, this is just, a, you know, it's a miracle. And then um, and then my um, one of my kids, my my daughter, who doesn't live here, she she lived here. And um, she's a bad, bad alcoholic, bad drug addict. But then I think they all are. And... Um, she was involved in some really bad situations, some real violent situations, illegal things, and she was getting herself, uh, she was in a really rough crowd. And, you know, to watch her alcoholism was horrible. It was just horrible. Because, you know, I would have to pick her up from being beat up, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, the last, I, the last year of her drinking, um, I had to take her home from the hospital after her jaw was, you know, the plastic surgery on her face from being beat up. I had to take her home from the hospital after the stab wound in her thigh. You know, and many times Les and I would just drive over and pick her up and bring her home. It was horrible. It was horrible. And I couldn't do it anymore. I had to stop back. I wasn't helping her. All I was doing was picking her up and picking her up and bringing her home and, you know, putting these band-aids on. I wasn't doing a program with her at all. And so I had to say, I can't help you anymore. I can't do anything for you. And at that point, she called my sister Susie. And it's just like, see, we help each other's kids. And I was just talking about it to Wilma last night. My daughter celebrated 11 years of sobriety last week, last month. And, you know, it was Susie took my daughter. They, she had to be relocated to another state because of the people that she was involved in and, and didn't come back. She came back here for a very short time a few years later to get a, to finish her nursing degree. And, then, and it has since moved on. But every place she's been, she's been active in Alcoholics Anonymous. She's been sober. And, you know, it's been a great gift. But you know what? My sister didn't stay sober. So this, this program is contingent, you know. On this daily maintenance, I gotta be here, I gotta be willing to talk, I gotta be willing to make a fool out of myself, you know, for, you know, in front of people. Um, I mean, which I do on a regular basis. But I mean, this gift, this program is such a gift to me because I have seen it. I've seen, I never thought she would leave. She had such a, such a program. You know, I was telling mom last night, she'd just come back, you know. And that's the, you know, I have, I've had best friends leave. You know, what makes us do that? I don't know. But that's why I've always been really grateful for my kids because you know, watching them and uh, and the surrender of turning Tracy over and saying I can't help her and watching the, another group take her and move her out of town and get her sober and, you know, and give her her life back. You know, it's just a miracle. And, um, and then uh, I guess it was the same year. All three of my kids initially sobered up the same year. And... Um, my son um, decided that, he, I guess, he decided he would take everything that was ever invented for drugs or alcohol in one night. 
and um, he came to me and you know I'm very self-centered by nature uh, this program has, has shown me that I'm so self-centered that you know I always think about myself first my reaction first my reaction first and um, he came to me one night and he says I've taken a box of Dramamine and some acid and some other stuff and you got to take me to the house that I think something's wrong with me and I said I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to bed. i got to go to work tomorrow. I mean, yeah, I'm seven years sober talking like this. You know, I'm not going to help this kid. I'm, you know, and my rationale is I've helped him so many other times and he never got sober. You know, I mean, he did. He, he got sober lots of times, but I wasn't going to help him. Anyway, um, he almost died. He ended up in intensive care, and on the way to the, the rescue squad came to the hospital, or to the house to get him, and on the way to the hospital, the rescue squad stopped. And you know, I thought he was dead. You know, they stopped. They stopped on on Cornusker Highway. You know, everything stopped. And I thought, my God, he died. And right then, it was like a, a moment of clarity. The biggest moment in my sobriety where I realized that I am self-centered, I am selfish, that I better get into this program because, you know what, this pro program has given me so much. And then, you know, sure, I went to my, I always went to my meetings, you know, but there were other things I had to do. You know, I had to change, I had to change, I had to do some big change and I couldn't keep doing the same things over inspecting different results in sobriety. I couldn't keep yelling, I couldn't keep being mean, I couldn't, you know, I had to change. I had to go for that change. And, 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 and from that point on, I knew that it was me that had to make the changes. It was no, nobody, I wasn't a victim anymore. I was never going to be a victim again. I was the one that was in charge of myself. And if I stayed with this program and I stayed with a sponsor and if I sponsored and if I reached out when, you know, people wanted help, then maybe my chances were better. I had to go back to those steps again and, um, you know, really, really, really work um, the ninth step like Omar was talking about because that's the freedom step. You know, if I, I can look at everybody now. I can look at anybody in the face and I don't have to feel uh, less than. And, I, and I, you know, I can do it now. And anyway, he did, he did live, thank God, and he is sober today. But, wow, you know, those things were scary. They were really scary. And, um, and then, you know, the... And my other daughter came in, and, and it's just been such a gift. It has been so, such a miracle to watch people, you know, in the program. I sponsor people that have little kids, and I'm so impressed with them. They're sober. They're raising these kids. They're not, they're getting up with these kids. They're taking care of these kids. You know, they're not blowing off the best years of their lives the way I did. So if you're new, there is, this program can do so much, but unfortunately we have to do the work. <laughs> we have to do it, you know. We have to show up. I just thought, you know, if I came and sat around for a while, you know, it'd be okay. But it's that thing you got to call that sponsor. You got to take those suggestions, and I got to take, you know, I got to take that yeah button, stick it up, because <laughs> it it don't it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work, and. Um, you know, like when I was first started talking and I was saying that, you know, we have a friend right now that's not doing very well or not doing as well as we want her to be doing. You know, I think, God, you know, she's been such a part of my life, you know. And I remember when my kids were uh, getting sober and stuff and she'd call and she'd check on, honey, how is Tracy? Honey, how is Colleen? Honey, how is Chris? Thank God, you know, these people are always there for us. So, you know, I think I just want to give back as much as I can. And... 
Thank you very much for asking me to speak. I'm grateful to be here in Silver. <laughs>